Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Okay, so here we go. Let's hop into the word together. This morning we're talking about authority in the church. Part of the reason we're getting out late and part of the reason there aren't ministry times is because I'm having to talk on these monster topics as well. So I'm going to do what I can to um, you know, to talk about how this church is governed how this church is led this morning. I don't know uh, if you remember, but last week we talked about Jesus. And hopefully every week we're going to talk about Jesus. But last week we talked about him. And um, we talked about how he brought about redemption. And he brought about salvation. And he did this through submission. And he did this through suffering. And my hope and my prayer is that God's going to change your mind. Uh, you know, that submission is going to become something more than a four-letter word to you, that you're going to see it uh, as something beautiful. I believe that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and I think our minds need to be renewed concerning this topic of submission and concerning suffering. And so Jesus, um, as we talked about last week, Jesus is our example of how we're to act when we're in authority And he's our example of how we're to react when we're under authority. So um, the uh, American way, not necessarily the Jesus way. For the Christian, freedom is found in submission, not independence and rebellion. So going forward, we're not going to talk about what submission is so much. But we're going to talk about how we're going to do that. We're talking about when we're going to do that and with who. If you missed last week, I think we, we did define, um, I'm not sure if we defined it well, but we did define what submission is. And if you weren't here, you can snag, there's um, some teachings on the back table that, that say, under authority like Jesus. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to grab that because we're going to move on. Today we're going to talk about authority and leadership in the church. Next week we're going to talk about submission one to another. We're going to go through Matthew 18 together. I hear a lot of people like um, say, well, Matthew 18, it's kind of a favorite thing to cite, you know. Well, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, and I'm not sure we really understand what Matthew 18 teaches. So we're going to try to come to an understanding of what it teaches and how that will look here in the church. And the week after that, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about authority and submission in the home. Again, all these things would be great things to talk about in a home next Wednesday night. Plug. Actually, they don't start until the first week of February. So I forgot to say that. They'll go from the first week of February till the middle of April. So have your conversation at Kalima's. Until then. Today, today is um, today's a historic day in the life of Radiant Church. Not much will change after today because um, the, the church has really been governed like this for the last two years, uh, but we're making it official. We've had people who have been functioning as elders in the church, but this morning we're going to give them the office uh, and the position of elder here at Radiant Church. I've been uh, reading, uh, thinking, discussing with people how a church should be governed for five years. And everybody has a different opinion about how a church should be governed. Everybody has a different experience. And the topic was pretty overwhelming, to be honest with you. There are a lot of different ideas about how a church should be governed and how leadership should be set up in the church. So, um, first I want to, this may seem um, 
This may seem obvious to you, but I want to say it for the sake of saying it this morning. Um, I think we need to start the conversation by talking about where does the authority to lead the church come from? And the scriptures are really clear that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But somehow he doesn't make it onto our organizational charts. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians says this over and over again. In two places it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Referring to Jesus. It goes on, I believe, in Ephesians 4 to say, Speaking the truth in love, we... Uh, will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Jesus is the apostle, the apostle who plants a church. Jesus is the leader who builds the church. Jesus is the pastor and the chief shepherd who rules the church. And ultimately, it'll be Jesus who shuts down a church if it's become faithless or fruitless. And you can read about that in Revelation 2. But he'll, he'll, he's the guy who will shut a church down. Um, therefore, it's pretty crucial as a church that we love Jesus, that we obey Jesus, that we follow Jesus, that we imitate Jesus at all times. And human leadership in the church is just a little more than qualified Christians who are following Jesus and encouraging others to follow Jesus. A church leader must be a good sheep um, following his chief shepherd, Jesus, before they're fit to be shepherds leading any of his sheep in the church. So it may seem obvious, uh, but we have to start our conversation about authority in the church by saying that Jesus is the head of the church, and he is in the highest place of authority in the life of the church. So serving, Je- serving under Jesus in the church are elders, deacons, and church members, members of the household of God. In uh, Philippians, Paul starts his letter by saying to, the, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. In this verse, three types of leaders who take responsibility for the church are seen. The first is an elder or an overseer. These are the senior leaders in the church. The deacons who lead the church alongside of the elders. And then the saints who love God and help the local church by using their resources to help build their church as members of God's household. And so there are thousands, I, literally... I, thousands of ideas about how a church should be governed. And one of the reasons that there are so many different ideas about how a church should be governed is because the scriptures are pretty clear about the function of an elder. They're to lead, they're to teach, they're to disciple, they're to pray. The, The function is very clear. Also, the qualifications of an elder are very clear. But what's not very clear in Scripture is the form that the elders should take. The Bible doesn't tell us how many elders you should have. The Bible doesn't tell us how to conduct a vote. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us how long a term should be for an elder. The Bible doesn't tell tell us how we should structure our elders. Um, These, really, and I believe that the... Bible intentionally leaves these things out, that this wasn't by mistake, because that the, for, the form that the elders take in a church should be up to the various cultures that have now had elders for over 2,000 years. It is one of those things that we get to shape, really clear about the function of elders, really clear about the qualification of elders, but the form that the elders take is something that's left for us. And different cultures interpret this in different ways and have for thousands of years. And the New Testament, I think, just kind of assumes that if you've got the right people in position who love God and love the people they're leading, they're going to figure it out. They'll find 
the way to do it and do it effectively. So there are, um, there are three forms of government in Christian churches. And I, and I want to give you a, a two-sentence definition. Because there's, there's really thousands of ways and thousands of variations. But there are really only three forms of government in a Christian church. And uh, after reading about them for now years and talking about people who are frustrated with them or excited about the form of leadership they have in their church, the conclusion that I've come to is this. is I was hoping that when I opened the Bible, it was going to reveal to me the one way to structure a church. And, um, and, and, it, and it hasn't. I, I, I have a strong conviction that one way works best and is most um, scriptural. But in my conversations with other people, they have a good argument for the way that they've structured their church and and for the way that they lead it. And in conclusion, I feel like what I realized is that God can use any one of these forms of government and people can abuse any one of these forms of government. God can use it and people can abuse it. That's the bottom line. Each one of these forms has strengths and weaknesses. Now bear with me, because I, I, I started sharing some of this stuff with Tiffany um, last night, and she was like, that hurts my head. Um, I didn't mean to say it so ditzy. That hurts my head. She didn't say it like that. She said, that hurts my head. I'm sorry for that. If I couldn't exaggerate from up here, what would I do? Um, But I think as Ed Stetzer says, like, if you can learn to order a drink at Starbucks, you can learn these theological terms. You really can. It, it's, it, they're not as complicated as the way you order at Starbucks. The first form of government is a... I, I'm just going to move through this quickly because... Uh, the end of the sermon is kind of the most important part of the sermon, and I would hate to miss the end because I got sidetracked somewhere in the middle. So if I start to take a rabbit trail, I'm giving you freedom to scream out today, no, don't do it. Boring. That hurts my head. The first is the congregational form of government. And this is, a, this is like the newest form of church government. And it's actually a reaction to, they probably wouldn't say this. Again, this is my version. But I think this is a reaction to the abuses uh, with the church government in England. Congregationalism puts the decision-making power into the hands of the voting member. Basically, majority rules. It looks a lot like democracy. Uh, the pilgrims that settled here really established congregationalism. Um, again, because the, they had seen power abused. Uh, obviously, it has strengths. Um, but its weakness is that it places popularity over pastoral leadership. The pastor functions as an employee. And if the employee doesn't meet its employer's expectations, which is the congregation, then you're free to fire me. Obviously, I'm not a big fan of this form of government. (laughs) The weakness is that... um, that, that spiritual leadership in the church can be reduced to personal preferences uh, and political pressures from different members. If you, want, uh, an, if you want to have an answering machine of a pastor, and by that I mean a pastor who's like, good, great, good to see you. If you want an answering machine of a pastor, put him in this form of government. By the way, this is just a side note, the scriptures don't support this one very well. 
the uh, the the other the second form of government is uh, is Presbyterian, and I got to be careful with this one. Uh, in this form of government, the elders have the power and the decision making in the church. The pastor typically serves as a lead elder. But the power and the decision-making is given to a team of pastors in the church. Uh, many people who have this form of government believe that is, it is the original form of government that God established in his church. Just like those that have Episcopal leanings and just like those who are Congregationalists. But there's an emphasis in this form of leadership um, on the local level and a team of leaders who are mutually submitted to each other. The third form of government is an is Episcopal um, government. In this form of government, the senior pastor or the bishop functions as the highest authority in the church. This is a little bit of what they call the Moses model, where one man goes up the mountain and gets the tablets from God and comes down and tells everyone what to do. It's a little bit like that. It's a senior pastor uh, model. Under the senior pastor, there's typically staff, there's pastors, there's elders um, who are working to implement his vision for the church. Um, Churches that use this model of uh, of Episcopal government, um, they, they, they typically can grow really quickly because decision making is, is simple, and they have decisive leadership. But they're also prone to making big mistakes because there's no one there to stop the pastor from implementing uh, a bad idea or, um, you know, not uh, like a heretical idea. So, Congregational, Presbyterian, and Episcopal. And it probably comes... To no surprise to those of you who are here and who have been here uh, for a few years, that Radiant Church is attempting a hybrid of all three. Not because we don't want to be traditional, uh, but because, or really not because we want to reinvent the wheel here, um, but because we see really cool things in each of them that I don't think have to be at the expense of each other. So like congregationalists, which we'll, we're, we're least like this, is a little, I'd say we're a hybrid between Presbyterian and Episcopal with a little sprinkling of Congregationalist. <laughs> Just to say we did that. Um, we're going to have all church meetings from time to time. And I think it's important to get together with all the people who share in the ministry um, for the purpose of of direction and discussion and prayer. That could be valuable for us, valuable for the church to do that from time to time. At these meetings, certain decisions that affect our church will be put before the church for confirmation, uh, discussion, discernment. We'll take time to pray together um, and hear any prophetic words that the Lord might be giving our church. So, we got a little little congregationalist in there. Um, like those who have a Presbyterian form of government, we will have elders who lead our church and make decisions. We believe that the Bible teaches plurality in leadership in the local church. And um, it, it just makes sense to me uh, that the plurality... It makes sense to me because um, leaders are just people. I'm just a a dude. I know that I wore a pink shirt and white pants today, but I'm a dude. And I am... I'm prone to making mistakes. And it makes sense that you would surround yourself with people who can keep you accountable. And um, to me, in some ways, too... This idea of a, of a leadership community making the decisions, it reflects God, who himself has a leadership community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So it makes sense to me. And, and to be honest with you, this Presbyterian form of government um, is not just good for the church, but it's good for me. And that's what I'm starting to realize. Is this isn't necessarily for you. But the role and the weight of carrying this church should probably not rest on one man's shoulders. So it's not, I'm not doing this for you. Um, I'm doing this for me. But we also see in Scripture that not only does it teach that there's plurality in leadership or many leaders or elders, but there's also primary leadership in the church. So in that way, we're a little bit like an Episcopal church. Um, Leading the elders will be a lead elder who is uh, what some would say first among equals. There will be a hierarchy in our eldering team. So in this way, like I said, we've got a little bit of a Moses thing going on or... uh, a little bit of an Episcopal form. I, I will continue <laughs> to function as the primary leader at Radiant Church. And I'll do this. I'll lead Radiant Church as a part of a team of elders. Um, elders in Scripture are nearly always spoken of in plurality because God intends for more than one man to lead and rule over a church. So, um, so going forward, I want to define what we mean when we say elder here at Radiant. Because when I say elder, something for you comes to mind. Am I right? The, <laughs> this was, I've shared this before, but this was troubling when I found out that elder actually meant gray beard. And I was, and I was looking around my group of friends going, you know, Eric can grow a beard. You know, like we can't even grow a beard, let alone a gray beard. This is trouble, you know. Um, Mike's is really sparse. I don't know if you've seen it. It's worse than mine. Uh, Different churches have treated eldership in, in different ways. So we have to define what we mean by an elder here at Radiant Church. Um... In many churches, the elders aren't visible at all until you screw up, <laughs> which is part of the problem that we're dealing with here. It's like when I, think, when I say elders, you think, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble, or we've got to meet with the elders, or we've got to see the elders. You know, They kind of stay in a back room until you do something that you're not supposed to, and then it's time to meet with them. Um, when most people hear the word elders, they think of an official church board. They think of influential people. They think of advisors to the pastor. Um, They think of policy makers. They think of financial officers or administrators in the church. A lot of people don't expect the elders to be involved in teaching the word or pastoring the people. A lot of people don't expect that the elders would be involved in teaching the word and pastoring people. Because that's the job for the pastors, right? And the staff. The only problem with this, there's not three categories in the New Testament. There are not elders, pastors, and deacons. There are elders and there are deacons. Elders in the New Testament are the senior leaders of the church and are synonymously called pastors, bishops, overseers. So when you see the word bishop, when you see the word overseer, when you see the word shepherd, when you see the word pastor, when you see the word uh, elder, those words are synonymous with one another, and they're used interchangeably. And they refer to different aspects of the same role. So what I'm trying to say is that elders are pastors in the New Testament. Elders are not assistants To the pastor, elders are assistant pastors. Elders are pastors. Eldership is pastoral leadership. They are the same thing in the New Testament. 
And there'll be the same thing here at Radiant Church. And we, we understand this, that one guy can have multiple titles, right? You can be a dad, a papa, a father, a daddy, old man, whatever it is. We understand that one guy can have multiple titles. That's what we see here in Scripture. Um, so again, the elders, they're not separate from the pastors. Um, they are the pastors here at Radiant. They're not the CEOs. They're not the advisor to the pastor. They are pastors here. Um, I, I, it's my opinion that there's a lot of frustration that comes when there's a separation between elders and pastors. Because the pastors in the church typically know the Bible better than the elders, typically know the needs of the church better than the elders, typically know the people in the church better than the elders, but it's the pastors who are now implementing the decisions that the elders have made. So the elders who know less about Scripture know less about what's going on in the church and know less about what the people need are the people making the decisions. And now it's the group of pastors who are not elders who are left to implement the decisions that they've made. Separating the two is frustrating, I think, and it leads to um, strife in a church. So, um, Paul and Peter, these giant apostles, when they assign the task of pastoring the church, they assign it to the elders. Let me read you two passages, one from 1 Peter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Paul, in his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. If we're going to understand what elders are to do, because we want to talk about what elders do in the church, we have to understand the biblical imagery of shepherding. When Paul and Peter exhorted the elders to do their duty, they employed uh, shepherding imagery. Um, the, The biblical image of a shepherd standing long hours to ensure safety. The image of the, the shepherd leading the, the flock to a fresh pasture and clean water. The image of a, of a shepherd carrying the weak, seeking the lost, healing the wounded is so rich. And it helps us to understand the role of elders, pastors, shepherds, the senior leaders in the church. So number one, as elders, as shepherds of God's flock, we protect the flock. Number two, we um, feed the flock. And number three, we lead the flock. And so that's what elders will do. So a major part of the elders' work is to protect the flock from false teachers. Paul writes, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So as shepherds, as elders, we're called to be alert. Which is sometimes kind of hard. Because it's easy at times to give way to a spiritual laziness. But we're called as shepherds to be alert. Um, When we think about error, I think we typically think about emphasizing the wrong things. When we think about error, we think about the wrong things. Teaching the wrong things. 
But it's also error to not emphasize the right things. And we want to emphasize the right things here at Radiant Church, not just stay away from the wrong things. Um, We're also called to feed the flock. Part of the shepherding task is to see that the sheep are fed the word of God. Jesus, who himself was called the good shepherd, was an incredible teacher. It was a part of how he shepherded led the people of God, was in his teaching. Um, Unlike, I guess, board elders, um, New Testament elders and the elders here at Radiant Church will be required to teach. Now, not every elder will teach from the pulpit. Not every elder will teach from the front. We understand that God might gift few and, you know, giftings might be different on an eldering team. But an elder will have to have a sound grasp of the Christian faith and be able to instruct in one-on-one ways and in small groups. So an elder must be able to teach. We're also called to lead the church as elders. Um, In biblical language, to shepherd a nation or a group of people means to lead it. Um, Shepherds need to use land, water, supplies wisely, constantly planning for the future and constantly anticipating needs. A healthy growing flock of sheep doesn't just appear. This, this healthy growing church here did not just appear. It's the result of, a, of hard work and it's the result of skill. And um, a good shepherd elder, he knows, uh, he knows people, he knows their needs. He knows how to accurately assess what's going on. Um, and if he doesn't, he's quick to find answers. He's desperate to find answers. So, uh, shepherding, eldering, it's hard work. And I've been waiting five years to also teach this passage. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. It's labor to work this stuff out. It's hard work to work this stuff out. And we should honor those who work hard and lead this church. So what does an elder pastor do? On the back of uh, your bulletins, you'll find some duties there. You can read them if you want to. They shepherd the flock by praying and studying scripture. They manage the church. They care for the people in the church. They give account to God for the church. They live exemplary lives. They rightly use the authority God has given them. They teach the Bible correctly. They preach. They pray for the sick. They work hard. They rightly use money and power. They protect the church from false teachers. They discipline unrepentant Christians. They obey the secular rules and laws. And they develop other leaders and teachers. And again, they do all of this by working hard, setting an example, and taking responsibility. What qualifies them to do this? What qualifies an elder to do this? We're going to actually, if you can, turn to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Because when the Bible talks about, the Bible talks about the qualifications of an elder more than anything else. As if to say, you'd rather have the right people in the wrong system than to have the wrong people in the right system. It's about the right people. What qualifies an elder to lead and shepherd and oversee the church is a calling. Paul says it really clearly that essentially it's not committees or people who appoint elders as overseers in the church. It is the Holy Spirit who does this. It's the Holy Spirit who calls people to lead and shepherd and oversee inside his church. So we're going to walk through the 17 qualifications. Quickly, I promise. We're going to walk through the 17 qualifications of an elder. In 1 Timothy 3. Let me find my bulletin. Come on. Can I borrow somebody's bulletin? Ah, found it. Sorry. 
The first qualification we read in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, is that in relation to God, an elder must be a man. Dun, dun, dun. Let me say something really quickly. I know that there are other passages that potentially open the door for women to be senior leaders in the church. I understand this argument. 1 Timothy 3 that we're working out of today is not one of those passages. I understand that there is potentially provision in the rest of Scripture for women to serve as senior leaders. We're working out of 1 Timothy this morning. And again, 1 Timothy is not one of those passages. So I'm going to share it this way. Right now, it's, it's very simple. Right now, women aren't elders at Radiant Church. The decision as to whether or not women can or can't be elders will be made by a team of people. I did not believe that the weight of that should rest on my shoulders. I've spent probably 50 hours in study and probably the same amount in conversation with people who hold differing viewpoints than I do. The argument is intense. It's complicated. And to be honest with you, it has nothing to do with women and everything to do with how you read the Bible. So right now, we don't have women functioning as elders, so we aren't going to say or give women the office of elders. Women simply aren't elders at Radiant Church. The decision that women can or can't be elders will be made by an eldering team, because I don't want to carry that on my own, because, man, I'd encourage you to read somebody. Don't don't assume that this is an easy answer. And I would encourage you to read people who have a differing viewpoint than you do because it's really challenging. Not just what other people say about somebody who has a differing viewpoint, but read somebody who has a differing viewpoint on this issue. It's really challenging. I would recommend the book Two Views on Women in Ministry, which I think is by Bloomberg, and I can't remember the name of the other author. It's incredible because you these, these are scholars... And you read their argument, which is about 100 pages, and I can understand every third word. And you get to the end of it, and you think, wow, that's pretty solid. I mean, that's got to be it. And then they let the other scholars respond to it, and they start blowing holes in it right in front of your face. So then you move on, and one of the scholars who blew holes in the other lady's view starts writing what he sees in Scripture, and you get to the end of it, and you're like, that must be it. And then the other scholars get to have it what he wrote, and they start blowing holes in it. So then you read a third person's stance. (laughs) I'm getting a shoot the rabbit call from the back. Then you read somebody else and they blow holes in it. Anyways, what I'm trying to say to you is that this issue is pretty complicated. And to be honest with you, I want to say this today. Um, That what's up for conversation here at Radiant Church, what we'll be discussing and wrestling through is women as senior leaders. Not women as leaders in the church. We see provision for that in Scripture. Not women teaching, we see provision for that in Scripture. Not women prophesying, leading worship. We're not talking about women functioning in their gifting unless your gifting is to be an elder. And then we're talking about that. But we're not talking about your gifting. Women will function in ministry here in this church. What we're talking about is women in government and specifically the senior leadership in the church. That is the conversation that we're having. So if you're here and you're a woman, please understand that what we're not, we're not talking about certain things. We're talking about the senior place of leadership in a church. The decision as to whether women can or can't be elders will be made by a team of people. Is that clear or clear enough? You can send your emails to trav, T-R-A-V, Daniel, at AOL.com. I'm the last person with an AOL address. The question we're seeking to answer is, does the Bible establish gender-based leadership in the church? That's the question. 
does the Bible establish gender-based leadership in the church? And we're convinced, let me read these things because this is my official statement today. We're convinced that, number one, this issue is significant and must be addressed. I'm not beating around the bush here trying to thread some needle. This needs to be addressed. It's significant. Number two, we're not going to let this conversation, we're not going to let this thing degenerate into divisive behavior and speech. Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, God-fearing people come out on both sides on this issue. Number three, both viewpoints have biblical and reasonable arguments. You may not think so, but they do. Number four, the issue for us as a church will fall in what Romans 14 calls a debatable matter or a matter of opinion. And so therefore, you're going to be left to embrace those who have a differing viewpoint than you do. So that, that is what we're committed to. That's what we see. Um, a leader, they must be above reproach. They must be able to teach. They must not be a new convert. In relation to the family, a husband of one wife. This is a, a statement of fidelity. One woman, sexually pure. This does not require a man to be married as Paul and Timothy and Jesus and widowed men could qualify. Submissive children, a successful father who manages the family well, provides for, leads, organizes, loves. The Puritans called the family household the little church. And if a man can't shepherd his family, then he can't shepherd the extended family is the idea. Sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not a lover of money. In relationship to others, respectable, hospitable, um, not violent, gentle. Not quarrelsome, well thought of by outsiders, respected by non-Christians. So for the last two years in this church, like I said, going forward, not much will change. What time is it right now? You kidding? Okay. Bringing it home. For the last two years, Mike Young and Eric Riley have been eldering this church. They have been elding in this church. They've been functioning as elders in this church. And there's been no official title, but they've been doing this. You may remember a year and a half ago, we had a time together. It was the hottest time in the history of Radiant Church where we ordained Mike and Eric to marry people and bury people. And since then... You've gotten to bury someone, and Mike's gotten to marry and bury. So that's exciting. Um, John Wimber used to say, uh, let me see how the Spirit is using you before we give you the badge defining your position in the body of Christ. So no one will be an elder in Radiant Church who is not elding. You first have to function as an elder before you're in the office or have the position of elder. So these guys, uh, Mike and Eric, I know that they seem to be appointed by the guy who planted the church, but I believe that it is the Holy Spirit that has called them to lead as overseers and shepherds here in this church. Um, Going forward, Mike and Eric, would you guys come? Uh, really quickly, um, Eric's role here at Radiant Church is, is changing. He's no longer an employee of the church. Uh, his role has changed. He's an elder. He's a leader in this church. So he won't be working for this church in the same way that he's been working for the church, but he's going to continue to work for this church. And what I love about that and what I've seen in Eric is even now that he's away from being paid to work in the church, his, still is, his heart is still for the church. And he continues to put the church before himself. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch, um, and it is something uh, worth following. What I'm seeing go on in Eric's life is something uh, worth following. And I would say the same things uh, of Mike. And so, going forward... Um, elders will be appointed by the elders. 
uh, after both the elders and the person considering eldership um, bring their light their life into the light of the qualifications listed in scripture um, they will then be brought before the church so that people have an opportunity to raise any concerns or questions they have about the person which is what we did when these two men were ordained um, if you desire to be an elder Make your request known. Scripture says that if you desire to be an elder, you desire a noble task. So make your request known because we believe that before summer starts, this eldering team is going to grow by two people. So before summer starts, we're going to add. When the church started, I was kind of the decathlete who was doing everything. And now the leadership has transitioned into what I would see as kind of an informal golf game where me and a few buddies wander the course having informal meetings. Um, What we see happening next is that we believe this eldering team is going to be like a basketball team, that there will be other people playing specific positions in the church. So this eldering team will continue to grow. I want to ask that you would pray for us. I also want to ask that you would submit your life to us for the Lord's sake. And as we go forward from here, we're going to be appointing deacons. Um, We're going to be wrestling through the issue of women and senior leadership in the church. Um, We're going to be doing a few things, and I would would appreciate your prayer. And if you're thinking to yourself, why is it that three guys would get to have the conversation about women and senior leadership? Of course, our wives will be a part of that conversation. And if you can't trust us to go to the scriptures, then you should find another church to go to where you can trust the people who are opening the Bible and seeking God's heart for the church. We'd like to make some commitments to you uh, here this morning. We've brought some vows. All right. We commit to meet the criteria assigned to us in Scripture. We commit to seek God's will for our church community to to the best of our ability as we study scripture and follow the Holy Spirit. We commit uh, to care for you and to seek your growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ um, by equipping you for the ministry and praying for you when you're in need, especially, James says, when you're sick. We commit to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture. We commit to be on guard against false teachers. Uh, We commit to exercise church discipline when necessary. We commit to set an example for you and join with you in humble service. And we commit to keep our hearts from offense, free from offense towards each other, understanding that we are called to be in unity for the sake of the church. As elders, we, we recognize that um, we are just stewards in God's house. That he's entrusted us with... Um, really the thing that's most precious to him, which are his, his kids. And uh, before you leave today, we'd like to serve you a communion. And, and part of this is, is for you, um, to, you know, to serve you the body and blood of Jesus, broken and shed for you. Part of this is for us, to remind us that this church is full of people that have been purchased with his blood. So uh, Lori and Katie and and Tiffany, would you guys come? We're going to form three lines. There will be a line here where we'll be serving uh, communion. There will be a line on the outside and and a line on the other side. I encourage you, um, you know, you can hang out. You can get before God. uh, You can worship. You can come participate in communion when you're ready. Let me read this passage again out of Acts 20. Be, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We want to remind you today uh, that Jesus, his body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you. And we want to be reminded as elders that we're stewards in a house and that you, in fact, are his most precious possession. He's purchased you with his blood. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd continue to lead us as a church. We want to obey you. We want to follow you. We want to submit to you. We recognize that you are uh, the head of your church, and we put you in the place of highest authority. Pray that you continue to teach us as a church how to submit to you and submit to your delegated authority in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.